Episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. This is episode 38 with Scott Dixon. Here at Praxis Pedagogy Podcast, we want to practice the honing of our craft as educators. Life is an apprenticeship, and we want to help a guild of educators emerge where we all encourage each other in our praxis and our pedagogy. I really think you're going to enjoy this episode with Scott. It was way too short. We needed to uh, encourage him to come back, and he will, and, and we're happy to have him back because we just crack the surface on a bunch of different stuff that he has. Not only a lot of thought and process, but of a lot of experience. And I think you're really going to appreciate this episode. I know we were all just kind of sitting and listening to Scott. And uh, there's something that he reveals about his life and his challenges early on in the episode that just sets the whole thing in a whole new context. And we really hope that you appreciate that. So sit back, relax, enjoy. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, would you mind subscribing to the podcast? It'd be awesome if you did. And if you subscribe to the podcast, would you mind giving us a rating? Because the ratings help us with the algorithm and get the podcast out there to other people who I know will benefit from the content that we're doing here. So again, thanks so much for taking the time to listen. We appreciate it and we'll catch you on the other side. One. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. It is fall. Yeah. <laughs> Made it through Crazy. summer. Made it through summer. It was good. All good. Although by the time people hear this recording, it will be a little past fall. We'll be into October. I think this one's scheduled for October 2nd. We are, <laughs> for those of you listening, we do batch record. So uh, we're recording a little ahead of schedule, but that's good. That's good. And uh, how you doing, Sally? doing just fine i am hanging on to summer i'm the person that's just gonna hang on to that last bit of summer yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well it's hot out man holy cow I, I don't know where people are from when they're listening to this but boy it was like 33 degrees yesterday dude it was 34 at my house yesterday crazy yeah i think it was about 37 at my home office i was gonna put in a wcb um you know complaints <laughs> go home that's, you know. right. that's right i'm gonna go back to campus and uh and risk yes. the covid thing it, at least they got ac right they have ac exactly <laughs> oh mercy beautiful all right well everyone we have a very special guest with us this morning scott dixon uh this is a connection through sally and uh, Scott, we are happy, honored, and privileged to have you with us this morning. Why don't you take uh, a few minutes to tell everybody who you are, what you do, where you come from? Yeah, sounds great. Uh, thanks a lot, guys, for, for having me on. Um, so, yeah, my name is uh, Scott Dixon. I work in uh, aviation heavy maintenance, and I work as uh, an educator in industry. Um, when I started in the training department seven years ago. I was just hired basically as a, a trainer. And um, the very first class I taught, I was given a PowerPoint slide deck the, from the previous guy. And he's like, yeah, you just have to read the slides. And that's all you have to do. We and it was slides. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry, I needed to interrupt there. <laughs> just read the slides. You'll be okay. And it's, uh, it's a training. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's a, it's a day, it was a day long course. And I was like, I mean, I've been in the industry for, at that point, it was 13 years when I, when I kind of moved over to the, the training side of the business and, you know, I knew the content, but it was, it was horrific. It was, it was this, this awful experience. I'm like, Oh my goodness. If this, if this is training, I don't want any part of it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I kind of figured out that um, I, I, I needed to figure out how training was supposed to happen because that was certainly not the way that, that I liked to be trained. Right. So um, at that point, um, I, I kind of got steered through a friend toward the uh, provincial instructor diploma uh, at Vancouver Community College. And yep. uh, after I completed that, I, I really started to, to fall in love with adult education um, and, and with you know, vocational theory. Um, and, uh, I kind of moved from there into, um, uh, getting trained as a certified training and development professional. 
through the Institute for Performance and Learning. Uh, and their, their focus is really, at, um, uh, they, they look at connecting professionals that are working um, in, in the workplace instead of within a, a post-secondary institute and kind of connecting them so that they can learn through each other about the best practices of, of workplace learning. So that's kind of their, their focus. And then I, I still wasn't satisfied with, with my own level of, of knowledge or performance. So then I kind of laddered into doing my <clears throat> master's of education through Simon Fraser University. And I, I graduated in 2018 with my master's of education. Nice. Congratulations. That's, um, that's quite the accomplishment. Um, Hey, so how did you, how did you find yourself getting into the skilled trades, right? And like, what, what was the transition like for you? So after high school, I actually joined the, uh, the Canadian armed forces. I was, uh, I was in the primary reserve, not the, the, the regular force. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, by the end of the four years I was in, I was pretty much doing it full time. And, um, I really enjoyed it. It was a fantastic experience. Uh, I was actually in the artillery, so I was I was basically manning 105 millimeter howitzers. And as a crew member on one of these guns, uh, one of the things I really enjoyed was after you go through the training exercises, uh, you have to do maintenance on the equipment. So it, it involves right. disassembly, cleaning, inspection, repair if required, uh, reassembly, and then you have to prove that the equipment is still serviceable by doing a a, a, a test of the equipment. And I really liked that process of, you know, disassembly, cleaning and inspection, repair, reassembly, and test. Right. So when I got out of the Army, I was looking at finding, finding a, hopefully a career um, that would kind of be involved in, in kind of doing the same process. I, I, really, I really liked the idea of something sequential like that. And um, I, I noticed through, you know, BCIT's course catalog that they offered a course in you know, gas turbine engine overhaul. And I'm like, Hmm, I wonder if that'll work out for me. So, uh, that's how I kind of found myself in, in aviation. I'm probably the only guy in aviation that doesn't really have an interest in airplanes. Um, I really was kind of drawn <laughs> to it because of, because of the process. Yeah. I, I'm just the engine guy. I really don't care about anything else. Just, you know, just give me the engine. It's all good. Wow. That's very cool. And so you, you said you were out in industry for 11 11 years before you got into the education stream? Um, 13, 13. 13. And where did you work? Um, I worked here in Richmond at a aviation heavy maintenance organization. So, uh, yeah, at Sea Island at YVR. Right. Um, it's, it's kind of interesting kind of going back just one step to, you know, who's typically drawn to aviation. You you usually get two types of people. You, You get guys that are, that are automotive mechanics. So guys that, you know, they've gone through high school. They're very interested in automotive. And this is kind of an alternate branch of being a mechanic. So okay. you have the mechanically, you have the mechanics. The other person you tend to get is the aviation enthusiast. So the guy that is knows every single type of airplane, he knows everything about all the different <laughs> airplanes and he's kind of the aviation geek. So sure. those tend to be the, the two types of people that are kind of drawn to these programs, either people that like aviation or people that like being mechanics. Um, right. I don't know much about mechanics actually. Um, I, I probably don't know how to open the hood of my car. Um, <laughs> to find so, it's okay, you're in good anyway. company here. <laughs> so I'm not, uh, I'm not a mechanics mechanic. and I'm not an aviation enthusiast. I'm kind of like the, the, the odd, odd duck, so to speak, in that I, I'm really more of a, a, a process minded person. Nice. Nice. But uh, yeah, so I'm, um, Sorry, I'm just going to hop in and say, you can see why this conversation, like Scott and I have only met each other once before. But, and I think it was, honestly, I think it was about three years ago, maybe two years ago, Scott. And we spent about three hours chatting when I was performing my um, research for my doctoral studies. But <laughs> Scott is so unique. And, and like just listening to this, like, you know, brief introduction here, your journey into the, or the, your trade is not um, the typical everyday trade anyway, mm-hmm. but just your journey is so unique. So don't let me interrupt you because I am just hooked right in here. <laughs> <laughs> Famous last words. Don't let me interrupt you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nobody believes just that. Just want to hop no. in. Just want to hop in. Let me hop in. Oh, so, uh, so, um, yeah, I was, I was basically hired, um, before I even graduated BCIT, uh, I was given a job offer 10 days before my course ended. Mm-hmm. And I, um, 
what would, because it's a Transport Canada regulated trade, um, there is a minimum requirement of class time that you have to attend. And if you don't, then you can't pass the course. Right. But my hire date would have actually put me outside the range of what was acceptable. So I had to get permission from the associate dean to actually start my job before my grad date because I would have missed too much class. <laughs> no, so, uh, no, you can't, you can't go get a job because you got to finish school first. <laughs> right. So oh. I finished, I, I finished my apprenticeship and, uh, uh, within a, within the, after about a year of being a mechanic, I was actually promoted to be uh, a lead hand for a team of mechanics. So here you have someone that's just finished their apprenticeship they're, They've been in industry as a, as a journeyman for one year. And now suddenly I'm leading, leading a team of about, you know, 10 other guys, some of them that have been in the industry for 30 or 40 years. Right. So it was a, a, a very steep learning curve for myself. Um, you, you really have to, um, if you're in a leadership position at, at that young age and you're supervising people that are, you know, 30 or 40 years, your your senior, um, it was really putting into practice the idea of servant leadership. It's like, Hey, I'm right. here to make sure that you guys have what you need and that, that you guys are able to do your job and I'm going to do everything I can to, to make sure you, you, you have what you need. Yeah. And uh, it was very easy to, to, you know, gain respect even as a young man, because everyone knew that I, I wasn't there because I thought that I was smarter or because I, I, you know, was a, a better employee than they were. I was there to, to help them, enable them to do their job. Sure. sure. So it was, uh, I actually wasn't a mechanic for very long within, uh, within seven years of being hired. So I'm uh, an apprenticeship for two years and then five years as a journeyman, uh, seven years after I was hired, I was kind of scooped up into a, a management position. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for the next seven years after that, so from about 2006 to 2013, um, I planned all the work for my company. So, um, on a, on a busy week, about 5,000 man hours a week, I was trying to plan and coordinate, um, looking after maybe 15 to 20 separate projects that were going through our shop. So a project we're referring to a a jet engine, Mm -hmm. uh, that was in our shop for, for overhaul at the same time. And then, um, toward the end of that period, um, I was actually diagnosed with a degenerative retinal disease. So you can't tell by looking at me, but I'm actually nearly blind. What? Um, I, yes, I walk around with a white cane. I can't drive. Um, I can only see about 5%. So I can look at the screen. I can see where you are. I can read a text because it's in the center of my vision, but, uh, um, I'm actually nearly blind. Wow. So, uh, that's, that was something very difficult that I had to kind of struggle with, you know, as, as a young man early in my career. And, uh, it kind of got to the point where, um, I could no longer do my job the way that, um, you know, it was, it was required. If you're, if you're trying to coordinate all the activity within the shop, uh, and, uh, you're having trouble even, even reading, uh, it got to the point where I had to go on stress leave for a period of time. Um, it's just, I couldn't sleep at night. I was feeling nauseous Mm -hmm. and, um, I was really overwhelmed by that kind of change in my life. Uh, but my company basically came back and said, you know what, it, 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 don't worry about, about your, you know, what's what you're going through. Um, you have a job here for the rest of your life, regardless of what happens. And by the way, how would you like to kind of transition into the training department and take over uh, as, as being a trainer for the company? Hmm. So that's, that's kind of how I found myself from being a, 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 a tradesman, kind of moving up into a, a, a leadership position within my company, and then kind of finally finding myself where I am now as, uh, as the roles uh, of an educator. Wow. Remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. <laughs> wow. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Blown away. It's, um, it's kind of funny, but I don't, I don't even see myself as a, as a trainer. Um, one of the, one of kind of the, the ways that I see the world, and I think this is unique in the workplace is that, um, I don't think the train that the training is the answer to solving organizational performance gaps. Um, it, it only gets you so far. So, I mean, you guys are, are tradesmen. And if you think about, you know, other, other places you've hired, very little of, of what you need to do the job is actually taught within the classroom in the workplace. So don't think about, don't think about your, your schooling, but once you show up in the workplace, um, a lot of times people are kind of left to fend for themselves. Now my industry is a little bit unique. Um, the, the engines that I work on, I never seen these engines when I was in school. You're, you're talking about 
products that are worth like 30, 40 million dollars brand new. So schools can't afford to buy a, a modern engine. So a lot of the products you're dealing with, you're looking at, you're looking at concepts, you're looking at, at, uh, at systems theory. But uh, when, you, when you're hired into industry, you're, you're, you're working with engines that you've never seen before. Uh, BCIT certainly doesn't have these products. So it's, it's, you're, you're given the basic tools to start the mm-hmm. job, but your, your learning process is actually just starting. Mm-hmm. So the way that I choose to see the world is that um, too often organizations focus on training and they ignore, they ignore the process of learning. Whereas I, I basically look at the learning process and I say, how do we make sure that people are learning what they need to learn? And I'm not so interested in, in asking, did they do, you know, did they do this training course and did they do this training course? Uh, instead of try to look at, at learning instead of training, because I, I, I would argue that they're actually two different things. Mm. Yeah. Could you unpack for us the idea that you have about holistic competencies? Um, yeah, absolutely. So if you, if you picture um, yourself as an employer, so instead of looking at the learner, you picture yourself as an employer. Um, what an employer wants, it's, it's not necessarily um, just a skilled technician. We want somebody that's going to be curious. We want somebody that's going to be creative. We want somebody that's going to, you know, stop and raise their hand when they see a problem. Uh, we, we, we want to have employees um, that are, are going to have project management skills. We want to have employees that are going to be critical thinkers. Uh, we want to have employees that are going to have, you know, emotional intelligence. Uh, they're going to be effective at communicating. If you look at the, um, oh, what's the name of the BC puts it out. It's like a jobs forecast. Mm-hmm. The BC jobs th- blueprints. Yeah. They put it out every year and they basically, they identify the, the, you know, the top core competencies that employers are going to need going into the, into the future. Um, a lot of these skills that employers are looking for um, are things like, you know, uh, creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, um, things like that. So when you're, when you're thinking about holistic development and, and, you know, you're dealing with a brand new apprentice, um, I'm asking myself, all right, how can we actually, how can we actually build a, 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 an employee that's, that's going to provide us value beyond just the skills that a technician is typically has from a historical point of view. So how do you mesh that with ITA <laughs> outlines, outcomes, competencies? Very easily. We are not an ITA Red Seal trade. <laughs> well, that takes, that takes <laughs> care of everything. <laughs> <Okay. Tim. laughs> Thanks, everybody. That's been a good podcast. We'll yes. shut this down now. Now and, uh, we know the answer. <laughs> yeah. Ding, 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 ding. So, so yeah, the, the next the, question. The way that we're regulated is uh, Transport Canada uh, basically licenses our company and the company is responsible for designing a, a training plan internally. Um, so we can basically do whatever we want as long as it's within the guidelines of Transport Canada. Right. But the beauty of it is, is, is we're not doing the training portion differently than anyone else. Um, training historically in, in, in aviation consists of you know, using things like log books, you might have a list of, of the 120 different tasks that we want to see a mechanic trained on, you know, as, as a mechanic. So we, we still have that. We identify the, 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 the technical side of it, the practical things that we expect people to learn. But on top of that, especially with, with our apprentices, we're, we're really looking at, at things like, you know, the metacognitive elements or, or the, the, the social technical aspects um, of learning as well. Right. And you, you wrote a significant document that I have yet to read, but I will be reading, I promise you. Um, and it, in some of the stuff that I, I was getting ready for this podcast and coming across is this term activity theory and a lens for vocational learning. I wonder if you could unpack that a little bit and talk to us about this idea of activity theory uh, and how it connects to reflection in action and reflection on action. Wow. I mean, those are hour long conversations in and of themselves. <laughs> well, that's yeah. why we're here. <laughs> so, um, activity theory, it, it comes from a Russian theorist, uh, Lev Vygotsky. Uh, oh, we've never heard of that guy before. Who's that guy again? <laughs> Lev who? <laughs> yeah, I never mentioned. Dad's joking Vygotsky. on his toes right now. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. man, can we ever get away from Lev? 
<laughs> no, yeah. we never have a show without Lev. <laughs> so, so basically, the, the 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 way and it goes back to the, the the way that I view the difference between training and learning. Right. So, if for for starters, if if I hire a, a new employee, uh, whether they're you know coming from a different company or whether they're they're a brand new apprentice. Um, they're not a blank slate. They're coming in with previous, you know, mental models. They're coming in with previous knowledge. Um, they're going to have this image of what it's going to be like to work for the company. Even something as small as that is going to influence their, their learning process. You mean they're they not never... an empty bucket that you're just going to pour stuff into? <laughs> they actually come with stuff? Hmm. Well, uh, that's not a new, that's not a new thing. Everyone, everyone knows that, you know, everyone has previous experience, but even, even like something as simple as like, they're going to have this vision of what, it, like what it's going to mean. And if, if we don't live up to that vision or if it's something that's quite different, um, then there's going to be, you know, there's going to be factors that are going to influence uh, negatively the learning experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this, uh, there's this theorist called Vincent Tinto and he, he writes primarily about retention in post-secondary. So he says that, you know, if you want to retain students, you, you basically need three things. You need to have, um, uh, you need to develop self-efficacy. Uh, you need to have a, a sense of belonging. And then you have to have a, a, a value. There has to be perceived value in the curriculum. And he, he doesn't talk about, he doesn't talk about retaining employees, but I've kind of taken his theory and I'm like, you know what, that, I think, I think that works for, for people when they're hired. If, if you don't feel like you belong, if you're not fitting into the community, you're not going to stick around. If, 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 if you have a different mental model or a different vision for what it's going to look like to, to be working there, and it's so radically, radically different that, uh, um, it's not going to fit, then, then you don't want to be there. And if, if, if you never feel like, like you have the, 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 the skills necessary to do your job effectively, you're going to go home disappointed at the end of every day. You're going to be like, mm-hmm. I hate this place. I can never do my job right. So I've, I've kind of taken some of his ideas about, you know, retaining students in post-secondary and I'm trying to think, well, is there, is there also some parallel application in the workforce? Um, I think I'm kind of diverting away from your question about, about uh, activity theory, though, unfortunately. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the problem of, of uh, interviewing someone that's an instructor as we like to talk, right? <laughs> You, yeah, you need this to isn't know, an interview. Scott. It's a conversation, please. It's not an interview. This is not 60 minutes. Um, but the, honestly, like I think Chad and I have never been this quiet. I mean, I'm just in awe of what, and, and totally in agreement as you're talking yeah. your way through here, starting with, you know, saying your first introduction to teaching was being told to read these PowerPoint slides. And, you know, we've, I think we've all had that experience, but as you're progressing through this journey and just sort of building on that understanding, I mean, really hearing that piece of separating away production and education, you know, so I think so much of the time that in trades, we're really looking at what is being produced. And what I'm hearing from you is, we're not focusing on production here. We're focusing on learning. And then just as you're, you know, really, really um, mm-hmm. putting in the layers there that support that thinking, I'm just fascinated. So please carry on. I won't interrupt again. <laughs> yeah, that's the third time you've said that. <laughs> Good. Um, no, no, but by all means, I think, I think you, you know, by turning it into more of a discussion, I think it also makes it uh, more interesting, right? So. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah. short, short, short version of what I mean by activity theory is, is that learning isn't necessarily sequential. Learning isn't necessarily, um, you know, something that's strictly embedded in, in learning a process or learning a product. Um, learning is a, a journey that's influenced by, you know, the people that we work with. It's, it's influenced by the, 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 the product and the tools and the process, processes and even the history of the organization. Uh, you're, 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 you're looking at, at things like, um, like the, the way that organizations manage quality. Uh, you're, you're looking at even things like union, union management relationships. You're looking at uh, basically every aspect of organizational reality is an aspect that influences the learning process of an individual. So I'm looking at the world and saying everything that's happening from the design of the shop to the layout to where the break room is to the conversations that happen at the water cooler to the vicarious learning experiences where you're observing somebody doing something that 
you know they're not supposed to do, but now what do you, how do you handle that? You're looking at this, this massively complex beast. And at the end of the day, what we want is, is that list of competencies. That's, that's the outcome of the learning process. It's not just somebody that, you know, knows how to change a fuel filter or somebody that knows how to, you know, um, you know, video boroscope an engine and to inspect the inside of an engine. Um, we want, we want to actually look at the development of, of the human being. Um, so that's, that's kind of the short version of activity theory. And that's really what, what I try to do to develop and build with uh, the apprenticeship model that I've developed. I think it's so important because we, I think we so often in trades and I'm speaking from like one of the, like a, as an electrician that we, we come at it and the way I was trained to train was, you know, here's your competencies, make sure that they are able to do the self tests and then they have the tests at the end of it. But then realizing like we're training these electricians, plumbers, carpenters, hairdressers to use technologies in our classroom that honestly they're out of date, right? They're, they, by the time that they actually get out in the field, they're not going to be using this PLC or they're not going to be using this technology, but we need to teach our students to think about the process of it all. And that's what I'm trying to get into the heads of my students is like this learning experience is the process. It's not, don't, you don't need to understand this particular thing. You need to understand how to think. And I love what you're saying, Scott, about the learning. Like we need to teach our students how to learn. It's not, I'm not here to teach my students the electrical stuff because honestly they can go into Google, they can go into YouTube. They're going to be out in industry anyways. They'll pick it up. But if I can help them learn how to collaborate, if I can help them learn how to problem solve, if I can help them learn how to lead, it's all good. So it was at this point that we had a small technical glitch with our recording software to the cloud. And so we were bouncing back and forth and uh, we got it sorted. And so you might notice a small change in the flow of conversation and that's kind of why change occurred. And that explains why I'm interrupting the podcast with this little public service announcement. So thanks for your patience and uh, we'll get right back into it. Every, I checked all my settings and everything, everything looked like it was working and then, and then it just started again and I didn't, I didn't change anything. So that's the big brother <laughs> algorithm right there. Right now. That's Transport just, Canada you've actually cutting blown, in on the feed. Yeah, you've blown so many people's minds. They're like, <laughs> hang on, hang on, we've got yeah. to catch up Yeah, now. a couple flags went up in the uh, Defense Department down in Ottawa. <laughs> Here we go. So all you listening in who shouldn't be listening in, welcome to the show. I'm glad you're here. So I'm glad, before I'm, we were, I'm glad this isn't live. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that'd be a whole, yeah, that'd be fun. Um, yeah. So before we were uh, technically interrupted, we were just kind of wrapping up the whole discussion on activity theory in, you know, the 10 minute lesson plan that we like to do with big <laughs> topics like this. Um I got, I got one more question for you, maybe a couple, but when we talk about the activity theory and, and what you've done, we also know that you rewrote curriculum for the company that you're working for. So you took it and you rewrote it, presumably with the lens that you have with, uh, towards education. Can you give us some nuts and bolts as to how you did that and how you integrated these um, fairly complex outcomes like critical thinking and uh, um, collaborative work and critical analysis into your work. I mean, I'm sure that there's some already built in because they have to do investigative work and they have to do troubleshooting. We get all that, but how, how did you do it? And, and what did you do? Okay. So um, it's, it's not necessary. Well, I mean, I, I, we say that I rewrote the curriculum, but it, it's not the curriculum in a traditional sense. It, it's not embedded in, in text or, or, or lesson plans or logbooks. Uh, it was the idea of basically creating a, a learning culture within the organization. Right. So um, the, the apprenticeship that uh, we have basically, um, I, I basically created three kind of parts to it. So you, you still have the practical part. You, you're, you're going to be learning by actually by, by doing the work. You're going to be learning by, you know, going through the manuals and, and one of the things you kind of built in was um, the apprentices would have an opportunity through all the different sections or departments within the company. So they're, they're not just hired and assigned to a team. They get a chance to rotate throughout the entire company. So they understand the entire process kind of from beginning to end. Right. And it's, a eight, it's an 18 month apprenticeship. 
So for 18 months, they're, they're basically, um, they're not mastering anything. Like if you're in it for two months, three months, you, you, you're there just long enough to kind of get an idea how things work, um, see how the team functions. And then you're, you're off to learn something else. Right. So it's, it's almost like they're continuing, um, you know, almost schooling at that point. Um, I should also maybe, I should also maybe break it point and say that our apprenticeship, I should explain how it works is, um, once a, a, a student has graduated from BCIT, we hire them full time. So they don't go back to school in sections and then they're hired as an apprentice within our organization. And for 18 months, they are going through an in-company apprenticeship. So just to clarify, I know there's, there's different apprenticeship models. Sure. So it's, sure. so um, they're rotating throughout the organization and, and doing the work. Uh, and that's really the, the practical side of the apprenticeship. There's, um, there's also kind of the, the, the social aspect. So we're, we're social creatures. Um, we, we work in like a social technical, um, uh, trade. Uh, so it's really the imperfect blend of, you know, machinery and technology, um, and then the human side of it as well. Hmm. So to kind of like get them to kind of work through the, the social of it, of it, we've, uh, we've created a community of for the apprentices. Um, it's, it's their meeting. It's their community. Um, I'm not, I'm not part of that community of practice. I'm there kind of as a, not even as a facilitator, I'm there as a guest. Mm. Um, the apprentices basically, they have to elect a chair and it's the chair's responsibility to, to run the meetings, to send out the invites, um, to communicate to the team leaders in the organization that the apprentices are going to be away from production, that they're going to be at these meetings. And, uh, basically they go around the table and they basically talk about what they've learned that week. Um, the one, the one kind of like, caveat I have is that I don't want them to say what they've learned from a technical aspect. So I don't want to hear things like I learned how to install an oil filter this week. I learned how to install the electrical right. harness this week. I learned, yeah. I, I don't, I don't care about what they've learned practically. That's what your, that's what your log is for. I want to hear what you're seeing. I want to hear what you're feeling. Um, I want, I want these guys to actually, you know, talk about the, the, the difficult things that they're experiencing on a day-to-day basis that typically is ignored as part of the learning process. And then they, they just have discussions about it. They, they, they basically hear the stories and the other presses and they, they learn, you know, what's going on and, and, Oh, wow. That might be something that, that I think I encounter one day. How do you guys think that, what is the correct way we should deal with that? Scott, what do you think? How, what, what would you do in that circumstance? And it's, it's dealing with all those kind of like, you know, odd things that come up in, in organizational reality, right? It's life in the workplace. Sure. Are they all at the same stage at the same stage in their journey as apprentices when they meet as a community of practice, or are they all at different stages, like a first year, second year, third year, fourth years? Do they, do you have them separated as a year one cohort, year two cohort or? Yeah. So it's, we, 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 it's only an 18 month apprenticeship. Uh, and, uh, we at the max had kind of two cohorts going through together and we, we had them all, all basically in the room together. There was about, I think 15 or 16 guys in the room at once. Okay. Are you doing anything to encourage them to express their thought processes in their learning uh, or are they just showing up and winging it? Um, I do. Um, Basically I, I, they know that they, they're, they should not be showing up at this meeting and saying that I didn't learn anything in the last week. Um, I want them to be actually seeking out and making note of those learning experiences. And you know, it's, a, it's as simple as, I mean, I talked about this a little bit in my, in my, um, my, my, my master's paper that I, I, I wrote is, um, I, I, I basically said, my idea is that there's kind of four steps of maturity in, in, in observing reality around you within an organization. So if you're, if you're brand new in an organization, uh, it's almost like you've been dropped into the middle of the Amazon jungle. You, you don't know where you are. You don't speak the language. Uh, you don't know necessarily what's going on. You, you kind of have an idea where you're supposed to go, but that's really all you have. And, and at that point, what I want them to be asking is, you know, what is going on around me? What, what's actually happening here? What is there that I could possibly be aware of? And, and you're making notes basically about everything. At, and at that point, you don't know what's important. You don't know what's kind of like peripheral. You're, you're just kind of like taking it all in. And as you start to mature at that point, now you're starting to, to be able to distinguish what is important to know 
from what isn't necessarily as important. And then as you kind of mature from that point, you should be kind of thinking about like, all right, what are my own thoughts about what I'm observing? Like, do I like this? Am I not happy with this? Is there opportunity for improvement? And, you know, as you kind of move toward mastery, I want them to come up with ideas on, on how they can actually change what they don't like. Okay. So if you're not happy with something, then do something about it. Um, in addition to, I, I mean, I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I kind of have a role as an educator. So managing the apprenticeship is, is like one small part of like the big picture of what I do. But, um, one of the things that I also do is, uh, um, I'll do all the onboarding, the new hire orientation for my company. So when I'm, when I'm dealing with a group of new hires, um, there's, there's five points that I try to illustrate with them. So when they finish this new hire orientation, it's not about memorizing facts or learning processes. It's, it's really kind of at the metacognitive level. I, I want them to be reflective. I want them to actually think about what they're seeing, think about what they're hearing. Um, I want them to become curious. Nobody's going to teach them everything that they need to know in the company. Okay. I, I don't want them to be naive and think that this training course is going to prepare them. Okay. It's, it's not, you're going to spend the rest of your life learning about your job, right? The best way to do that is to develop a mindset of curiosity. If you're curious, if you're saying, why is that the way that it is? Um, it's, it's going to make you a stronger employee. Um, I want them to, to ask questions. I actually say this. I want you to go out there and I want you to ask two or three questions a day for the first couple of weeks that you're here. And if you can't think of something, then maybe ask your coworker what I should be asking. Okay. What's, what's, what would be a good question for me if I, to ask somebody? I want them to get in the habit of asking questions. And it really, it, 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 it creates a learning mindset. The, the next point that I have is I'm like, you guys have to build relationships. Okay? You, you need to know who's going on around you. And if, if you're working with someone and they say, hey, that John guy over there, he's not reliable. Don't, don't talk to him. Then make up your own mind. Don't, don't listen to what other people have to say, right? Like you, you're going you're gonna to figure out who you can trust and who you can't on your own. But I, I try to discourage people from actually, you know, making judgments about people before they actually get to know them. And mm -hmm. the last thing that I teach them and, and maybe the most important is I use the idea of a Jenga model. You guys familiar with Jenga? It's yeah. a game from like 1980s. You, you take, take a block you take from, a, from the bottom. Yeah. You take a block from the bottom and you put it on top. Jenga right? block. It's a song yeah. to every game TV. <laughs> <laughs> that is the way that I see organizations. Okay? That is, that's reality. Every single organization, every single company in the world, um, it is this Jenga tower that is basically barely holding its, its own weight. It's standing there. Um, and there's two different ways you can look at that. You can say, well, it's, it's working as intended. It hasn't collapsed yet. So yeah. therefore it must be working. Uh, one of the biggest mistakes that people can, can make from an organizational perspective is confusing a history of non event with safety. We count things that have not happened and we think that we're in good shape because nothing has happened yet. Um, do you guys, are you guys familiar with the deep water horizon? Yeah. It was a oil rig exploded and yeah. sank in the Gulf of Mexico about 10 years ago. Yep. Yeah. The same day that the Deepwater Horizon exploded and sank, senior executives from British Petroleum flew up to the rig and they gave them a safety award. They said, congratulations, guys. You're the safest oil drilling platform in the Gulf of Mexico. And an That's hour so after they got the safety award, an hour after they got the award, it sank. We can't confuse a history of non-event. So everything has worked fine up to this point with, with somehow thinking that our system is working the way that it's yeah. intended to. So one of the things that I really try to reinforce is, hey, welcome to our organization. We're broken. We're this Jenga tower. And the last piece of that mental model that I try to form with these guys is your job is to go out there and fix it. What are these missing blocks? Why are they missing? And what can we put back into place? Um, imagine, I could, I could try to frame it a different way. Imagine that, uh, you know, as an instructor, I'm working with a whiteboard. And, um, my boss, of course, he doesn't want me to damage this whiteboard with a permanent marker. Okay. So he's going to rely on training. He's going to rely on punishment and he's going to rely on rules maybe to prevent me from damaging this whiteboard. So let's, let's start off with creating some, some framework. Let's create some rules. So I'm going to get a label maker. I'll put a big label on top of the whiteboard and, and maybe I'll use language like never, ever, ever under any circumstances whatsoever ever use a permanent marker on this whiteboard. 
And that way it's really going to reinforce the fact that maybe I shouldn't use a permanent marker on this board. But I still don't have the training on how to use a whiteboard. So I'm going to get my boss to send me away for a training course on how to use a whiteboard. Um, I hear there's a nice one in Hawaii this time of year. It's about two week long whiteboard <laughs> course. And this course starts off with looking at the, you know, what were the factors that led from the transitions from chalkboards to whiteboards? What was the impact on the chalk industry? How many chalk workers lost their jobs when there was this transition? <laughs> but when I come back, I'll be, I'll be the most skilled whiteboard user you've ever seen. So now that you have the rules, now you have the training and you come back. And the last thing we want to have is some sort of consequence. So we're going to punish the, the stupid employee when he does something wrong. And as a potential consequence, maybe my boss will say to me, look, if you use a permanent marker on this whiteboard, you're going to have to buy the replacement whiteboard. And I'm like, you know what, boss, I'm not stupid. I'm not going to use a permanent marker on this whiteboard. But guess what? If, if the markers are the same diameter, if they have the same surface finish, and if that permanent marker is sitting there with the dry erase markers, at one point, I'm going to pick it up and I'm busy teaching. I'm not paying attention. And the next thing you know, I've marked up that whiteboard with a permanent marker. Um, research says that training, that, that punishment, and, and that rules don't necessarily keep things from going wrong in organizations. So I, I really want to create some, some healthy mental models when, when we're dealing with, with teaching people. Is that wow. silence? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I just love that because I think that when we live within a framework of rules, it actually disables us from thinking because they are, there's these structures all around us that require you to just, it's behaviorism. Mm -hmm. And right. so, which is where, you know, I think you're definitely going in this direction with it. So, the other piece of this, what you're talking about as well, Scott, is what I'm hearing is the lived curriculum is, you know, Ted Adoki speaks about this a lot, the lived curriculum, that daily interaction between, you know, the, between the cohort and yourself, a member of that cohort mm -hmm. as well, is so different from the actual written curriculum. And these are the pieces, the values and it seems to me just listening here, you've been able to disrupt that focus where I think we see in many courses, the curriculum is 90% the performance of technical skills. And like Chad said earlier, the self-test, the, the, the weekly test, and then there's this 10% added on of essential skills. But these, whether we want to call them essential skills or not, but the curiosity, the project management skills, the critical mm -hmm. thinking, creativity of that seems to be like 90% of your curriculum as the lived curriculum. Like you say, it's not written, but it is the culture. It's that huge culture. Right. It's, it's, it's really doing curriculum as, as culture. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not the guy that knows everything that is telling them everything. It's not, a, it's for me, it's not about knowledge transfer. It's not, it's not, it's not instruction. It's like, look around you and, and learn about reality. Like be aware of your own thought process. Listen to what people are saying. Okay. And, and don't take it at face value. Think, think about it critically. Like, is, is that true? Um, we're, we have cognitive biases that we deal with. And one of the interesting cognitive biases is that we're biased to choose plausibility over accuracy. Okay. Now imagine, imagine a scenario like this where you have to pressure test a piece of equipment and the, the range, the, the, the range that is valid would be between 15 and 25 PSI. So if it's 15, it's good. If it's 25, it's good. And you, you set up your equipment and you put the dial, the gauge on there, the pressure checking gauge and the value you see is 20 PSI. So it's right in the middle. Um, would you guys think that that would be a, a it would pass the test? Is it good? Uh, well, I would. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 I mean, it's, it's, it's a simple example, right? So, I mean, you, you would look at that and you'd be like, okay, it's, 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 it's valid. It's, it's within the range that I would expect. So you take the gauge off, you put it back in the drawer. And as you're putting it back in the drawer, you look at the gauge and it still says 20 PSI. Hmm. You look at it and you kind of tap it. You're like, it's stuck at 20 PSI. But why is it that, that 
people would say that that they've accepted the value. It's because the 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 information that they were given it appeared to be valid. It appeared to be within a range that they were expecting. And it's just a simple illustration. It's not necessarily a workplace example, but it's trying to illustrate this idea that that um, too frequently we don't push to actually get good information. We're, we're satisfied with something that sounds like, yeah, that that probably is that probably is right. That sounds like it could be could be so. And we don't go farther than that, right? And that's it's because we really have this bias to to kind of like lean towards something that's plausible or finding out what's what's actually you know what's actually uh happening around us mm-hmm. it goes back to like what you're saying with the whole non-event doesn't mean that it's working right or i mean just because it's working doesn't mean that it's right and i think in trades we deal with that quite a bit and i like in the electrical trades when i send my students out and i've seen this myself you go to a, a troubleshooting call and you know they figure out that if you press this overload and reset it it's going to work again so Nobody, and then so there's a sign up that says just hit overloads, reset overloads. Well, why are the overloads <laughs> tripping? So exactly. instead of having to reset it every three hours, maybe we should open up the process a little bit and dig a little deeper into the why. Yep. And we don't train our people to do that. Like we train our students that when an overload trips, you have to go and you have to reset it. And what we need to do is say, okay, when an overload trips, we need to sit down with the operators and say, okay, what's the process? What caused that overload? What is supposed to happen? What caused that to trip? I mean, really dig into that whole process. And what it sounds like you're doing is you're really encouraging your students to open up the box, right? And say, okay, what's happening here? And not just open up the box technically, but open up the box in your organization. Like the fact that you invite your students in here and say like that Jenga analogy, I think it's brilliant where, you know, this, we are Jenga. You guys need to help us fix it. Like have apprentices you know, a shirt saying we are Jenga, we are Jenga <laughs> TM, a little TM on the side of it. But that just shows so much respect to your students and to your apprentices. And I think that's something that we need to bring, do more of. And I think it boils back to what you said at the beginning that has just been resonating with me. This whole conversation, Scott, is when you talked about how you you came at your management style with servant leadership, it sounds like your teaching style is very similar, right? You don't look at yourself as, a trainer and these students, you're a facilitator that's working. You're not better than them. You've got maybe a little more experience in them in some areas. So you're coming alongside them and then you're helping them learn on their own. I think your, your leadership has bled into your teaching. And I think we need to see more of this servant leadership style in education. And I think we are, I'm not saying we aren't, but I think it's just, it's super encouraging and inspiring to me. Yeah, Thanks, I would second Chad. that. I would second that because it's it, there's a lot of appreciative inquiry. If we want to start throwing labels around, there's a lot of right. appreciative inquiry approaches to to what you're doing, and and really what it boils down to from from my perspective is you're you're encouraging people to ask why. Why is this happening? Why is that not happening? Why did that go sideways? Why am I thinking this way? Why does that matter to me? Right. And you're really, you're really getting at core values. You're really getting at the heart of a person or the heart of a process even, or a heart of a concept even. And right. it's those skills that are transferable more than anything else. Like we can, we can teach people how to turn wrenches, screwdrivers, scissors, combs, all that. We can teach them to do that. Uh, and in my trade, um, I've often said, I, I can teach a monkey to do most of the stuff that we do. Like no offense to people in my trade, if you're listening. So you know, no, no, no bad email, but <laughs> monkeys. I'm probably going to get a bunch of emails now, but there's, there's stuff that, that we do. That's just routine. Like you, you show up, you do it, you go home. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that you, you can't just apply the routine to that. You have to begin asking deeper questions. And so I, I like the, I like the approach of the, of the appreciative inquiry that you're using uh, right at the get go when they, when they come into, to your organization. And I, I think it's unique too, that you get to have them essentially right out of school, they're birthed out of the system and they're, 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 they're eager to go. And then you, you grab a hold of them and you're like, okay, now you're ours for the next year and a half. And we're, we're going to help you not only learn this trade, but we're going to help you learn to be a better person. And because we know that better people create better organizations and they're, they're more productive, they're more safe, they're, they're, they're all these things, right? And that's, um, that's amazing and, and awesome. We are creeping up to our time limit. And uh, as always, Scott, and I think I mentioned to you this before, that one hour is just never enough. We have to, uh, we have to invite <laughs> guests back. And um, 
dang nabbit, you are just one of those guys that we need to have back. So hopefully uh, you'd be honored, uh, not honored. I'll let it, I'll let it that out. Hopefully you'd be, you'd be happy to come back because we would be honored to have you back and, yeah. and continue some more of these conversations. Cause again, we're just scratching at the surface of, we never even talked about journaling for learning. And I think that should be on a t-shirt as, as mm-hmm. right on the other side of we are Jenga. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we'll have you back and we'll, and we'll unpack all that. And I have to say, this is one of the very first episodes that you two co-hosts have been the most quiet in. I've spoken the most. It's amazing. I'm going to write this down. Never, never happened before. Well, this well, never yeah. happened before. maybe at the beginning, cause nobody really knew where we were going. But uh, then right. Once you knew right. where we were going, it's like, yeah, just get out of the way, Carson. Let me steer the boat. I have to say one thing though, before we you know, wrap up today. <laughs> and that is that, you know, the terminology metacognition is thrown around post-secondary education all the time. And what I've heard today, this is, this is the implementation of when the learning outcome for this is that is this high level of metacognition. Yeah. It's in everything you say, in, embedded in everything that we've heard from you today. And yeah, I so hope that you'll come back again because this mm. has just been incredible. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> good. That's good. All right. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you got some value out of it. We hope that you enjoyed Scott Dixon. He will be back for a future episode, probably sooner rather than later. So stay tuned for that. Again, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, would you consider doing that? And if you've already subscribed, would you consider giving us a rating and a review? Because again, that really helps with the algorithm, really helps get the word out that this podcast is alive and well, really helps get the word out that uh, we're here to help build a guild of educators, help them emerge out of the morass of what we're in right now to bring them together, to encourage them in their walk, in their praxis and in their pedagogy. Thanks again so much for listening. Take care. We'll see you soon.